What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. And you thought there was a deal. That was the point of a protracted debate over a tiny slice of the federal budget to avoid a default a few weeks ago, right? The debt ceiling deal. We talked about it every day for weeks. And they brought it right down to the wire. Even Wall Street started to worry. Only to now relitigate the whole thing. At least that's what it feels like. As you heard earlier this hour, members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus are fed up over what they see as Republicans, fellow Republicans, reneging on spending limits. Many are predicting a government shutdown. And as we head up to the August recess here with some hope of getting a couple of things done in the next three days, people are asking, what was that all for? Why all the pain leading up to this? I'm guessing Wiley Nicholas asking that same question. The congressman from North Carolina's 13th congressional district, Democrat in the U.S. House, is with us right now. Congressman Nicholas, I want to welcome you to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you for being with us. What's your view on this relitigating the debt ceiling deal? Did you see it coming? Yeah, Joe, it's good to be with you. You know, we, we had a deal on the, the, the bipartisan budget deal, and, and I, I think that's where we're going to get um, when we get back here in September. So I'm, I'm eternally optimistic that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, to get a good deal done because we need to for, for the American economy. And uh, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful we'll get there. But often, you know, we, we continue to see the tail wagging the dog with the, the Republican caucus. And I think you're, you're seeing that play out a little bit more today. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, your colleagues like Bob Good and Andy Biggs uh, seemed pretty convincing earlier today when they held a news conference saying, do not fear a shutdown, uh, suggesting that that is the leverage that it might take, that that's ex exactly why they were sent to Washington. Do you have the numbers to override them? Yeah, I, I just I think fundamentally, you know, you're going to have people on the, the far left, the far right who are going to make a lot of noise. But to get anything done in this Congress, it's going to have to be done in a bipartisan way. Republicans have a very narrow, very narrow majority in the House. Democrats have a very narrow majority in the Senate. And we've got the White House. So, you know, we, we need to work together. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of these Democrats right in the center. Remember the, the Blue Dog Democrats, the Problem Solvers Caucus. These are the groups in the center um, working to, to uh, reach across the aisle and get things done. And that's what we saw with the bipartisan budget deal. It was a, one of the, the rare bills that started in the center and worked its way out to the left and right. And, and that's ultimately what, you know, we're going to see um, come in as a budget. And uh, I'm I'm still very optimistic that, that that's that's the direction we're going to go. Well, that would be sweet music uh, to the speaker. <laughs> I don't know if you have much uh, back and forth with Kevin McCarthy, Congressman, but do you think that we'll avoid a shutdown? I, I hope so. I, I hope so, um, because, uh, you know, we we had what 
you know, was was a good a good and very fair deal um, for for all parties. And uh, you know, the, the American people sent us here to get things done. And that's mm-hmm. what my focus is. It's important that you sit on the Financial Services Committee. Uh, it's important to our audience, Congressman. I want to ask you about what's going to happen this week as you address a couple of important pieces of legislation, one on stablecoin and the other more broadly dealing with the, the crypto sphere that Wall Street uh, is super focused on, but Washington can't seem to get its arms around. Are you going to make progress on Thursday? I, I hope so. What, you know, I, I'm in my first term in Congress, and one of the things that I've learned is Washington is really good at doing nothing. And in this case, we need we need action. And, um, you know, you got two bills that, that we're, we're working on right now in the House Financial Services Committee. We're going to have an important um, committee vote on them this week. Um, the stablecoin bill is one that uh, I think is in a really good place, and I'm supportive of that. I think we're going to get bipartisan legislation there. The market structure bill, which is the, the, the crypto bill you talked about, is also moving in the right direction. You know, and, and I think we're seeing a, a very good bipartisan group behind efforts to improve that bill too. But the, the, I think the message for for the folks listening is is just with the crypto, with crypto, with stablecoin. You know, whether you love this stuff or you hate it, you should want regulation. That's what we're trying to do: is have rules of the road to get yeah. beyond a status quo that doesn't protect consumers. I know a lot and of players in the crypto industry are actually asking for that in some cases, begging to be regulated so they know what the rules of the road are. What are you hearing uh, from Maxine Waters, uh, from the, the from your fellow Democrats on the panel? Because there was uh, a, a bit of a breakdown, it seemed, with Chair uh, Patrick McHenry over that stablecoin bill. It seemed like there was a deal and then there wasn't. You know, I, I think the staff is feverishly working behind the scenes to try to come together. And I think they're really close. So I, I don't want to speak for, for Chairman McHenry or a ranking member mm-hmm. Maxine Waters, but I think the, the stablecoin issue is one that it, the, the issues aren't, aren't, aren't very big uh, that are separating them. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that uh, you know, there, there will be a, a, a bigger bipartisan, you know, consensus on it. But, uh, you know, the, the way the bill is right now, I like it. Tell me more about this market structure legislation. Do you support it in its current form here? Do you have worries about any of the language? You know, I, I think the place I start is we have, you know, our chair, Patrick McHenry, and French Hill as uh, the subcommittee chair have been working behind the scenes, you know, to, to address Democrats' concerns. So the concerns I had about self-custody language in the bill, you know, has, is moving in the right direction. Um, and, you know, you know, I, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to reach an agreement because, you know, the, the place that we, we start is we want to prevent another FTX. And mm-hmm. I think that, that the bill does that. And, and it puts the, the guardrails in place that, that matter. Um, my staff just told me, too, that one of, one of our concerns was that the CFTC, which would be a, an increasingly more important player, um, is going to have the funding as part of this effort. You know, that was one of my concerns, that the CFTC wouldn't be funded mm-hmm. to, to administer you know, the, the rules that we're setting and put in place, that, that part is getting worked out. So I, I'm, I'm very optimistic that, you know, this could be one of the bigger bipartisan accomplishments in this Congress. Well, that's a, that'd be a pretty big deal, Congressman. Your, your optimism uh, is noted here because it seems like it's been nowhere yeah, land so know. far for crypto in Washington. No, it, it, absolutely. And, and I think for, for folks who, who may not understand the issue, too, you know, we, we're really talking about the, the dominance of the digital dollar 
you know, in, in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, you know, and, and we do so well for our economy because we're the global reserve currency. When we do sanctions, they matter because of that. So doing these bills, putting these rules in the road of the road and regulations in place help us, you know, stay, you know, competitive and, and a leading, you know, innovator for, for you know, the, the digital dollar, which is going to be even more important every year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've been asking whether, you know, is it is it a security or a currency, whether it's Bitcoin or Ether? And now it's starting to seem like there is no easy answer to that. It depends on the coin and it depends on the transaction. Is that right? It, it does. And, you know, and we just saw um, a, a U.S. District Court case, the Ripple case, um, you know, come out. And, and that showed that there's some real disagreement, which just underscores the need for regulation. Um, and, you know, Gary Gensler and the SEC's regulation by enforcement just, you know, is, is creating a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, Congress has a job. We, we can step in and provide those rules of the road. Um, so, you know, the, the companies here in the U.S. understand where they stand. And, you know, my constituents, you know, aren't going for some product overseas where if there's a problem, they just get screwed. So I think that's that's the place I, I look at it is how can we protect our consumers and um, help, you know, keep those these industries in the U.S. Yeah. We're spending time with Congressman Wiley Nickel, Democrat from North Carolina. I've got to ask you in our remaining moment here and make you aware, Congressman, that before you joined us today, and I didn't know this was going to happen. What was this? The 18th of July, just, just about a week ago, we paid tribute to your tribute to the Grateful Dead. Here we Thank go. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I rise today to celebrate and pay tribute to the Grateful Dead. That's it. Last night, the Dead and Company closed out their final act in San Francisco. And while this marks the end of an era, it also gives us an opportunity to reflect on the immense impact they've had on generations of fans. Now, Congressman, I just have to note that, that not only were we entertained by it, we loved it. You had the skull up there on the easel. You quoted Jerry Garcia and I just wonder, knowing how many Republicans love the Grateful Dead, did, did that help you get across the aisle a little bit this week? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, it, and I've had so many of my Democrat and Republican colleagues come up and, and tell me how, you know, about their experiences at a concert or the great times they've had. And, and that's, it's, it's one of the few really unifying things, you know, over the last, you know, several <laughs> decades that people go to the shows. And you they, didn't go to San Francisco, though. I, I kind of felt bad for you. They should have. Giving you a front row seat based on what you're about to do, you know. But you can you can watch the shows on the internet. Well, that's too, true. So I got to of course see you can. I bet and, you have. If you're a real deadhead, you have an answer to this. How many shows have you been to? You know, I've been to half a dozen. So okay. I'm, I I have not. I'm not a touring kind of fan. But you never went on the road. I get it. I, I, I and and you know one thing too. I got to ask Jerome Powell about this in our uh, financial He's a big service fan. committee. And he said he's a fan, so that was another tie-in for financial services. That's fantastic. Wiley Nickel, thank you for coming to see us. Maybe you can do something for Jeff Beck when you get a minute on the floor of the House. He's a Democrat of North Carolina. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The talk today again is about a possible government shutdown, but different than you might think. Not politicians running away from it, not yelling at reporters for attempting to bring it up, but embracing it. Bob Good, the gentleman from Virginia, part of the House Freedom Caucus. We should not fear a government shutdown. Most of what we do up here is bad anyway. Most of what we do up here hurts the American people. When we do stuff to the American people while promising to do things for the American people, essential operations continue. 85 percent, as Mr. Biggs has just uh, given me that number, continues. Most of the American people won't even miss if the government is shut down temporarily. Most of what we do is bad anyway, he says. This is part of a news briefing, if I can call it that. Earlier, they held it outdoors outside uh, the U.S. House members of the Freedom Caucus, including uh, the aforementioned Representative Andy Biggs, with the idea of a shutdown. I don't believe that you're looking at a government shutdown. I think what you'd be looking at is, um, as, as I think Bob, uh, Representative Good and Representative Rosendale and others have mentioned, you'll see some, some aspects, some of, the, some of the 12 appropriations bills come out in what we call a minibus. And then you'll see a short-term continuing resolution to continue spending. I am not worried about a, uh, uh, a government shutdown at this point. It's just a shutdown. Who's worried about a shutdown? All we do here is bad stuff anyway. Now, don't make us explain the difference between a minibus and an omnibus. Because I can tell you, Megan Scully will take you downtown on that. <laughs> and she's with us right now. She runs the whole team that covers Congress here in the Bloomberg newsroom in Washington. Megan, it's great to see you. Thanks for having uh, me. We're talking about the final throes 
of the budget debate, even though we've got this big August recess right in the middle of it. They're trying to get a lot of stuff done here this week before they get on a plane and go home. We talked yesterday about the agriculture bill, this military construction bill in the House. The Senate's working on defense spending. Does anything actually get done this week? We'll see. A lot of uh, this hinges on exactly what the folks that you just had. Yes. <laughs> the tape. So they're going to do their up. best to slow this down, right? They 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 quite possibly may. It's going to be all sort of hinging on the vote on the rule, essentially mm-hmm. the parameters for debate on these spending bills. Democrats in the minority party um, always vote against the rule. So McCarthy is really going to rely on most of his party. Remember, his majority is very small to support the rule, which then allows them to move on to the bill. If the Freedom Caucus members or or other members in in the party aren't happy with McCarthy or the bill Mm -hmm. or the amendments that were allowed on the floor, um, they can essentially ground it all to a halt, um, which very well might happen. What was interesting to me today is you sort of had the same people who were saying a debt default wouldn't be that bad, saying a government shutdown wouldn't be that bad. (laughs) Thankfully, we didn't find out what what happened after a debt default. And we should remind our listeners, right, that a shutdown is, that's not a default. They're not even in the same league. No. But as we think about what's about to happen, it's a pretty good example of what took place in that debt ceiling debate to, to give us a sense of how this budget debate could go down, right? Because we're we're dealing with members of the Freedom Caucus are calling out their own fellow Republicans in the House and the Senate, not mm-hmm. even Democrats. They can talk about Joe Biden all day long. But this is this is a war inside the Republican Party, it feels like no? Yeah, we've seen this play out all year, um, dating back to January when Speaker McCarthy really had to fight mm-hmm. through, what was it, 14, 15 rounds um, to become Speaker. And it's just been a bumpy road ever since uh, through the default uh, negotiations. uh, A lot of these Freedom Caucus folks aren't happy with McCarthy in the aftermath of that. They feel like the deal didn't go far enough um, or they feel like there's been effort to roll back some of the spending constraints that were, were agreed to by the speaker and by President Biden. Um, So we're seeing all this come to fruition right now, but it's not just spending. Mm -hmm. It is also um, social issues. Mm -hmm. We have uh, abortion amendments on the Milcon bill. Right. This is what's really slowing things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and you look at something like the military VA, military construction VA spending bill. That is usually the bill that gets through with the least objections. And. When you look at the amendment lineup for possible debate on the floor, you're looking at, you know, banning abortion funded through the VA under any circumstances. Um, There's another amendment from Lauren Boebert that would ban masks in non-surgical areas of (laughs) of VA facilities. Um, (laughs) So not a mask mandate, a mask ban. So this is really like just becoming, you know, fertile ground for for the culture. And none of it has a chance in the Senate, right? Which is why we're talking about a shutdown here. The sense of being betrayed by the speaker seems to be coming back in these conversations uh, that we hear in the Freedom Caucus, despite the fact that he's been giving them quite a bit of leeway, it seems like, in this debate, certainly with the way they handled uh, the national defense uh, spending bill. Listen again to Bob Good, again, Republican from Virginia, speaking earlier today at that event. It was said by leadership at that time that we will use the appropriations process, that the FRA was the ceiling, not the floor. But we would go back to pre-COVID level spending for non-defense discretionary, and we're calling on Republicans to do that very thing. 
Sadly, unfortunately, there are some Republicans in the House who don't want to cut spending. Worse yet, many Republicans in the Senate want to actually increase spending. So this is Republican on Republican violence here, uh, Megan Scully. I don't know where he's going with that, but, you know, we were told... Those first words he's... It was said by it leadership. It was said by leadership. Yes. What does that mean about Kevin McCarthy's standing right now? Uh, well, they've never been particularly sold on him as speaker. Yeah. Um, and I think as time goes on, it's less and less so. But McCarthy's really in a tough place as, as he's been throughout the speakership. But he needs to he needs to keep these Freedom Caucus members in line. But he also can't put moderates in his party, you know, Mm -hmm. Hudson Valley Republicans, Mm -hmm. um, Republicans in Southern California who won in 2022 and who are fighting already fighting for their political lives heading into 24. He he risks putting them in danger by having them take votes on abortion and 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 other, you know, on this mask ban on other culture war. Um, topics. Mm -hmm. And what we saw with the defense bill last week or two weeks ago was some of these Republicans, some of these pragmatic Republicans saying, kind of just banking on the Senate, ultimately scrubbing that out of the bill. Um, But if they continue having to take these votes, then they're going to have a voting record amass on abortion, on, on other issues that don't fly in their districts the way they might fly in Andy Biggs' district. That's right. Absolutely. Before you run, uh, does everyone get out of town Thursday, or do you think they're staying overtime? <sighs> do you, have a, uh, you, 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 you place an odds on My this money's yet? on Friday. Friday. The office Friday. pool. All right, good. Yeah. Megan, it's great to talk to you. All right, thanks. Megan Scully, uh, Bloomberg News Congress Team Leader. It's an important title around here. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we assemble our panel for their take on this. And if you hadn't heard me mention already, Congressman Wiley Nickel, Democrat from North Carolina, is going to be with us in about 10 minutes to get a better sense of what's happening inside the House. Right now, it's Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, what do you think of the noise coming out of the Freedom Caucus? Is it just the same that we've been hearing now or don't fear a shutdown is getting your attention? Yeah, look, it's pretty much what we've been hearing. Uh, It just never really subsided since the debt negotiations. They've rolled right into the budget negotiations. Um, The only power they have is the weakness in the Republican numbers. You know, four Republicans uh, bail on, you know, any kind of vote. And Kevin McCarthy can't get anything passed. And the Democrats are just sitting back laughing because, you know, for the first time in a long time, they've seen, you know, sort of Republicans attacking Republicans, forcing them to take votes that are going to cause a problem for them in re-elections. It's just a real good elixir uh, for Republicans to lose the House in the next election. Boy, how about that? Uh, Does it make it seem more likely, Jeannie, that they're girding for a budget war here or are the numbers so small that it doesn't matter? You know, I think they're girding for a war, and, and it is Republican on Republican violence. And this is, you know, the the stunning part of this. This all goes back to that January agreement McCarthy made. You know, he's not going to shield his members. He can't at this point from, from these tough votes. They're going to take them, and then they really do risk losing the House, which is the stunning part of this. And so many of these votes that, that Megan just talked about from the abortion ban on a bill like the NDAA, that should just pass without any 
conversation or notice at all are being stymied by things like a mask ban, which is absolutely stunning. And here we go. I think we're going to have a shutdown. And I think that it's going to lead us into September all the way to December. And it's going to hurt Republicans in the next election. You know, we're hearing from upset Republicans uh, in the House right now, Rick. When are, when are Republicans going to start making more noise in the Senate? I'm thinking Lindsey Graham and others who were very angry about what they saw as a lack of defense spending as part of that debt ceiling deal. Because if we're blowing this whole thing up, that's the first thing that they're going to go for, right? Well, I think that that'll be a, a conference issue, right? I mean, the Republicans and the Democrats are working together to get the uh, pro, you know, the uh, NDAA moved by Thursday night, and they will get out Thursday night, I think. I mean, I think Schumer and the Republicans are working well together, as mm-hmm. they always have been on a bipartisan basis, to move our National Defense Authorization Act. The reality is they're going to be able to lift the ceiling through a supplemental on defense spending and additional funds for Ukraine, which is going to put the fight at conference level when the House does something quite the opposite. And so neither leader, uh, either uh, Schumer or McCarthy, want to take votes that make support for Ukraine look weaker. Uh, And so that's going to be one of the hardest things they have to do uh, to navigate this funding cycle. But to your point, it'll be done behind closed doors. Yeah, I mean, they will come out with some kind of a universal NDAA that, you know, uh, matches up the House version with the Senate version Mm -hmm. in September. And that shouldn't actually be any different than the process that have worked before. It's when the House uh, gets this package of supplemental funding (laughs) from the Senate, which was part, as you said, of the Lindsey Graham deal with Schumer to move the debt ceiling together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by the way, and fully supported by many Democrats, uh, you know, I know uh, Chris Coons is one of the big proponents of this. And, you know, he's a committee chair uh, for foreign ops. So the reality is that, that the Senate sort of has their act together and they're not making a political fight, certainly out of Ukraine or the defense spending. Uh, but I'm sure they're going to have to deal uh, in the end with uh, kind of a runaway House leadership. Well, that's a consistent storyline here, Jeannie, since the beginning of this Congress and this speakership. Does does Kevin McCarthy know that he has to let the government shut down to make everybody happy? You know, I, I think he is very cognizant of the position he's in. Um, I know, uh, you know, that's why I think we hear him saying some pretty inflammatory things to appease the right in other realms and sort of take their eye off of this. Um, he knows the situation he's dealing with because his job is on the line. And, you know, just back to what Bob Good said, government shutdowns do hurt. And this is, I think, you know, a core of this. This is a group of people who see no role for the government whatsoever. Government does bad. Government does nothing is pretty much their mantra. But the reality is the last government shutdown, 800,000 people were not paid. National parks, food stamp payments and others weren't made. So there is an impact. It's certainly not as dramatic as it would have been had we defaulted, certainly. But there is an impact and government does have an important role. And that's what the Republicans are going to have to wrap their head around. Government does play a role. And these folks seem to not see it as something that we need, but we absolutely do need it. I know this is the conventional wisdom on Kevin McCarthy, uh, Rick Davis, but is he at the whim of his conservative Republican caucus, or is he playing three-dimensional chess with the Freedom Caucus? You know, it's a little three-dimensional chess. I mean, he has uh, had to do that during the debt crisis, where he had to leverage uh, a couple of votes out of the Freedom Caucus in order to get that passed and and rely on a few Democratic votes in the process. 
Um, and there's no question that Jeannie's right that uh, government shutdowns are no good. I lived through one, you know, during a presidential campaign that the party in power really paid a price politically for. I mean, in addition to the economic impact uh, that uh, people have to withstand, uh, it's a political no-no. I mean, you know, no party wants to be the party that the government, you know, shuts down, except for maybe the Freedom Caucus guys. So, uh, yeah, uh, the speakers really got to figure out a way to thread the needle on this one, and, and they're making it harder and harder on him. But the fact is that the Freedom Caucus attacking other Freedom Caucus members actually yes. makes it easier for him. Yeah, just ask Marjorie Taylor Greene, I guess, right? That's uh, Kevin McCarthy's great ally, Jeannie. Yes, that's right. And, you know, I think what we're going to see out of Kevin McCarthy is more attempts to distract them and by talking about culture issues and those kinds of things that they can get behind. So watch for that to keep happening. My God, it's going to be quite the fall. This better be you better make this August recess count because you're going to need the energy after Labor Day. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story, about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Hearing the word impeachment a lot more often in the Republican-led House of Representatives. And I'm not talking about Alejandro Mayorkas, although they want to impeach him too. But the refrain lately has been about impeaching Joe Biden. You've heard about it from the Lauren Boeberts, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, And it reached a new level here in the last 24 hours as the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, also went there in an interview on Fox News. If you're sitting in our position today, we would know none of this if Republicans had not taken the majority. We've only followed where the information has taken us. But 
And but it Mr. is this Speaker, is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit his family and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. There it is again, if you're the weaponization of government. The speaker reacting there. Uh, to a number of developments, you've heard of the whistleblower cases. We've talked about some of them here, but probes into Hunter Biden's business dealings with China, with Ukraine, with other countries. Lawmakers alleging also potentially benefited the president himself. Andy Biggs, the House Freedom Caucus, talking about this earlier at that same briefing having to do with government spending and a possible shutdown. He was asked about with it. the evidence that we've adduced in the Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee with regard to uh, the Biden, uh, what I would call a, cr a crime syndicate. I don't know what else you can call it. The corruption that's there, that would certainly be a, a very interesting uh, and perhaps even necessary step. I would I would say we probably should, before we talk about impeachment, move on to an impeachment inquiry to actually get more teeth into our, our uh, investigations. So maybe we are inching closer to an impeachment inquiry. Let's reassemble the panel for their take on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, when you hear it come from the speaker, that sort of gets the attention. It's one thing to hear it from the Freedom Caucus. Kevin McCarthy's different. Was that just a some sort of trope for Fox News, or, or are we actually moving closer to this happening? Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think we're moving closer. It wasn't just a throwout. He is the speaker, uh, been avoiding talking about the Biden impeachment. And uh, a lot of people who I've talked to feel like he's still uh, in very much the uh, doghouse with Donald Trump uh, because he uh, indicated a while back that he didn't think Donald Trump was necessarily the strongest candidate to run against Joe Biden. And he's been paying for it ever since. And this is one of those things that I think people are advising him that, well, go out there and, and go after Biden on impeachment uh, because that'll make Donald Trump happy and sort of level the playing field. So I think it's generated as much by politics as it is by these inquiries, you know, with the IRS uh, whistleblowers and people mm -hmm. like that. Is it just uh, par for the course now? Jeannie, just every president gets impeached. Well, you know, I see this a different way. You know, I see this, as you know, they say a robber goes into a house, they bring a piece of steak and throw it to distract the dogs. In this case, the <laughs> yeah. dogs are the Freedom Caucus. And I say that because McCarthy has done this before. Let's not forget his whole call about holding the FBI director in contempt. Just looking this up, May 30th, what was happening right around that time? The vote on the debt ceiling that they didn't like. What's happening now? The appropriations bill. So he keeps throwing out this red meat to distract them, and he tries to move forward with what he needs to get done. I don't think it's going to work all the time, but so far he has been successful. Hmm. Well, I don't know your thought on this, Rick. It does. It, this was the concern during the Trump administration, that the idea of impeachment would be watered down by multiple impeachments and those that were that were had among uh, along party lines. What do you think? Yeah, look, I think this is a very big concern. I mean, you know, we've had three impeachments in 25 years and only one in the previous 200. So it is a trend. Uh, there's no question about it. And, and, and I think we have lost sight over the fact that this should be something 
that is um, uh, only done in, in the worst uh, conditions. Uh, and this is not, from what anybody can tell right now, uh, clear that this is one of those items. Uh, mm -hmm. The reality, though, is it is intensely po political, as you say, and 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 the speaker is bowed to that politics over and over again. Uh, both because he has a very narrow margin in the in the in the Congress, but that he is haunted by the right flank of his party, uh, the Freedom Caucus team. And so, whether it's a trade-off or something else, uh, I don't know. The same can go for abrogating these uh, impeachments that Donald Trump have on the record. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was on the floor today talking about how we need to <laughs> wipe those off the slate. Uh, yep, so right. now we're into this era where we're impeaching and then unimpeaching. Uh, and I, I think it's just frankly, a complete and total waste of taxpayers' time and money. Yeah, that the, the expungement, is gonna, that's going to be an interesting process uh, here. We've got breaking news that I want to ask you both about an urgent from the Associated Press on the terminal, a federal judge blocking a rule that allows immigration authorities to deny asylum to migrants who arrive at our southern border without first applying online or seeking protection in a country they pass through. That's the requirement. The judge delaying the ruling from taking effect, though, immediately to give the administration time to appeal. Uh, things just got more complicated here, Jeannie. What's the White House going to do? They did. I mean, this was critical to the White House. Um, they have been successful in decreasing the numbers of people seeking asylum, although some people attribute that to a, uh, you know, an annual decrease because of the weather. But they really wanted to have this mechanism in place so that they could control those numbers and now the judge has decided that that is going to be delayed and it's going to have an impact on the white house as they seek to address this issue it hasn't become a major issue yet on the mm. campaign trail but it has been in the last several elections and i suspect it will continue to be raised particularly amongst those border state folks this is a uh, peculiar timing here rick because the narrative was turning to hey maybe this is actually starting to work, certainly not as bad as people thought. What does the ruling mean? Yeah, I think that the ruling is one more hit against the Biden administration's uh, patchwork quilt of efforts to try and patch up the immigration uh, program. I mean, you know, sure, he put down a comprehensive immigration plan when he was early elected to presidency and has done nothing to promote it. Uh, and and no effort whatsoever to pass it in Congress. So he's 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 living now the nightmare of uh, these judicial reform, these judicial acts that are peeling away every time he tries to to put a put a bandaid on the problem. Well, read more about it on the terminal. It just broke a moment ago. Instant analysis here from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, as you'll only hear on Sound On. The fastest show in politics will bring it to the White House next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. President Biden established a national monument for Emmett Till, holding an event to honor the black teenager brutally lynched in 1955, helping to galvanize the civil rights movement. The president criticized in his remarks what he said were efforts to restrict the teaching of American history. With well, a shot at Florida's controversial educational curriculum, didn't name names, didn't mention Ron DeSantis, but it was clear what he was talking about. At a time when there are those who seek to ban books 
bury history. We're making it clear, crystal, crystal clear. While darkness and denialism can hide much, they erase nothing. You can hide, but they erase nothing. We can't just choose to learn what we want to know. We have to learn what we should know. We should know about our country. We should know everything, the good, the bad, the truth of who we are as a nation. That's what great nations do, and we are a great nation. That's what they do. For only with truth comes healing, justice, repair, and another step forward. Another step forward, according to President Biden. We reassemble the panel for some final thoughts on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. An important moment, Jeannie, for the president to not only honor history, but actually make current politics relevant to the case. That's right. The president and vice president both echoing what we what we all know, which is that reconciliation begins with telling the truth. And he wanted to celebrate Emmett Till's mother, but also the black press who did such an amazing job telling this story and how it really changed things for the civil rights movement. And it's mm -hmm. going to continue to help us in our present day. Did he use the occasion properly, Rick? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, was a solemn occasion and one I think that maybe they added a little bit too much politics to. I mean, this is a teaching moment, as he describes, and and yet you don't want to sort of, you know, take the edge off of that by, you know, turning yeah. it into a political message. There we are today in Washington with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Many thanks. A great panel and a great discussion. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.